Galatians chapter 3, you know, the body of Christ is the most incredible body of people, is the most incredible thing on the planet. If we were to look at all of the beautiful, the seven, seven wonders of the world, go to Giza, if we were to go to these different places and just be amazed at the incredible achievement of mankind, nothing could compare to what God has done in your personal life this week. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing, the work of God, the, the, the work of adoption. For my wife and I, my wife's in the toddler's realm. My wife and I, as you know or may not know, uh, we have begun the journey of fostering to adopt. And this week, uh, this has been quite a process. I don't know how many of you have ever been either fostered or you have been adopted or you are in that process. Uh, it's one of the most amazing experiences on the planet. This week, uh, the little guy, our little guy, Caleb, his parents um, lost their parental rights. They were terminated in a court session. And that's bittersweet. It's, a heart goes out to the birth parents who really basically live on the street. And, you know, God has a plan in their life. They're being ministered to a street by a, a street church downtown. And so when that happens, uh, we got that news Friday morning. And I began to think about this topic of adoption, and I think that I think it would be a good um, way to begin this series in the body of Christ by just talking about adoption, because God did not have to adopt us. God did not have to care for us. God did not have to even worry himself about us. He could have stayed in his the Trinity that was so in love with itself, with the that God was in love with. With the Son, the Son was in, is in love with the Father's plan, and the Holy Spirit takes that plan of God and exemplifies it amongst the Trinity and amongst the, the host of angels that are continually worshiping Jesus and the Trinity. But God so loved the world. God so loved. And I think that it's very easy for us to lower or to underestimate the love of God. The love of God is exactly that. And I think that there are some theologians out there that really struggle with this song, Reckless Love. And I've actually talked to some pastors in the area. And they, they struggle with that because they say that the love of God is not reckless, but it was very calculative. That God thought it through in, in eternity past. And I agree with that. But in the world's eyes, the reckless love of God looks very reckless. That God sent his son in a very present, a, a vulnerable situation. Uh, he is in a he is in a stable, born in the conditions as we know, of uh, animals, live animals, a baby just being born, and the sanitary, the whole the horror show that that could have been, and yet God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. He didn't give out of His abundance; He gave out of His 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 one thing that He had. And so I think that it's so important for us to understand that though the devil cannot steal your salvation, he cannot take away that gift. He cannot unfinish the work of Jesus Christ in your love, in your life. But the devil can war against you and I about our understanding of who God is and how much he loves us. Think about this for a moment. How many of you are parents? Just raise your hand. How many of you are parents? How many of you look at your kid and you just have these moments with your kid? I, I had a few of them this weekend. My wife was away at a business uh, meeting in Savannah, Georgia. And it was just me and, this, and, our, and our son, Caleb. And... I was wondering, how is this going to work? You know, I'm like, I'm, I'm the newbie dad here. And, and, uh, and it's just, it's actually quite comical. 
Caleb's laughing at me, and I'm laughing at Caleb. We're just having a blast. And then we had this moment the other day where I'm changing him. He's 12 months or 12 plus months. And he looks at me, and he goes, Dada. And it was the first time that that happened. And I was like, what? <laughs> I should have recorded that. You know, I need this full-time recording device, you know, recording every session so that we're not missing anything. And he said, Dada. And he looked right at me, and I was like, that, that's like... Oh my God, that's like, okay, I can die now. That was like, that's the most amazing moment. And we were sitting um, on the couch and we have this big stream TV and he likes to watch these simple song things. You know what that is? Like, you know, a baby shark. Do, 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 do. Okay, that's in my head. I go to bed at night thinking, baby shark. Do, do, do. And I'm like, okay, I wake up. And, and so we're watching this, and he turns to me, and he goes like this. He pats me on the, my heart. He goes, because he's sitting right on my left, and he pats me on the heart, and he goes, and he looks at, right at me, and there's that moment of contact, father-son contact. And I thought, whoa, that's amazing. That's so incredible. And then I pat him on the chest, and I said, Caleb. And he pats me on the chest. And then this morning, and we did that a couple times. And then this morning, we're eating, we're eating I'm feeding him. And then he pats, he's like, wants to pat me on the chest again. So I lean forward, he pats me on the chest, and he goes, Dada. <laughs> and I thought, this is the reciprocation of God's love through a child. Isn't that amazing? God created, God, God created parenthood so that we would understand what God's going through with us. And if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. Yes. You know, before I was a parent, I was, I'm going to get to the meat of the message here. Uh, when I, before I was a parent, I would just kind of think about God. It's like, well, you know, no idea what he, put, he goes through, his suffering. God, why don't you just, why don't you just, you know, like, why don't you say something about it? And God did. God did. He, he, made, he made me a dad. And now I was, driving the day, I was driving away the other day, and he's, Caleb's in the back seat and doing something. And I'm thinking, aha, okay, this is what God the Father goes through. And I want to make it a point here is that God has not given us a spirit of fear, shame, and guilt. In the United States, we struggle with guilt. In Asia, it's more shame. In other, other parts of the world, it's fear. I think in, in the former Soviet Union, in that part of the world, the Middle East, has struggled with fear. God has not given you a spirit of fear. When God put his son in us, he put his whole trinity in us. And get this. God is absolutely overjoyed with you, and he is not in any way disappointed in your life, and, and there is not anything in you that is lacking that in some way would make God disappointed or let, love you less. If you read the book of Song of Solomon, and you read that, it's an extremely graphic book. The King James translators tried to tone it down a little bit, but when you read this, one thing is very clear— that the bride, uh, the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, is so enraptured with the bride. At one point he says in the book, turn away from me. You're overcoming me with your eyes. Yeah. That's what Jesus is saying to the body of Christ. Can you get that this morning at the Holy Spirit? I just pray that he would reveal this to us this morning. That when God looks at you, when Jesus Christ looks at you, and maybe for a man that this is hard to grasp, but when, when Jesus Christ is looking at you, we look back at him and we say, Dada, we say, Abba, we say, Father, we pat him on the chest. You know, we were eating again this morning. Yeah, hear more Caleb stories, okay? We're eating this morning. I mean, he's eating. And then he'll give me his, like, his, you know, um, um, these banana wafers, you know what those are? 
and he'll just give it to me, and, he, and I, he'll want me to munch on it. So I'm eating it, and he just gets all this joy out of it. He wants to share his food with me, and it's like, I'm the provider, right? I'm the, my wife and I are the providers of the family. Why do I need his food? But for him, there's so much joy in giving this back to me. Yeah. And as he was doing this this morning, I was like, God just showed me. He said, this is what it's like when you reciprocate back to me truth and what I've provided you. When you give back to me. I, and just to see the joy and the smile on your face when you give that wafer to me that I have no need of in my life. That joy. God, okay, Jesus Christ said it this. I, when he was having that last supper, just before the last supper, he says this. I have had with great desire, desired, he uses this in the Greek, to eat this with you. Can you imagine the passion and the love and just the, the, the eagerness and the joy that Jesus Christ has to spend time with you and I, to gaze at us? When God went after Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3, what's his question? It wasn't like, what did you guys do? But where are you? And I think the Holy Spirit has to show us what the tone is of that. He says, where are you? And it's not like this, this um, angry, where are you? But it's like, where are you? Like, I miss our communion. I miss our, our interaction. Where are you? Communion with God is something that God so desperately desires. He desires it to. It's not that he needs it. But when we reciprocate back to him what he has given to us and what that manna that he has given to us that creates so much joy for God. So when we read these, and I'm not going to go through all of this this morning, but when we read these verses, I want us to look at a couple things here. Number one, um, and I just want to say, like I spoke with someone at the farmer's market yesterday, someone who is really doing some incredible things in the kingdom of God. And they just said, you know, here, because I'm new to Texas, they said, you'll, you'll find here uh, some unique paradigms in Christianity in Texas. You'll find the churchgoers who really have found their home and they're going to go, they've been going there for, for ages. And you have the non-churchgoers because they don't go anymore because either they've been either hurt or offended or um, they've blown it in their life or they've been kicked out or they don't measure up. And so they're out there and they don't even know how to, they don't even know where to begin. They don't even know where to begin to look for a church. Then you have those people out there that are just broken and looking for belonging. I think that this is what every person, whether saved or unsaved, desires. They desire the body of Christ, relationship and communion. When it says that in God or in him was, it was life in John 1, chapter 1, verse 4, and this life was the light of, life of men, light of men, I think what that points to is that most Christians, and this was like, this is the way it was for me, and maybe this is the way it is in the Bible, Bible Belt in the United States, is that most Christians do not experience what the body of Christ is. You know, they don't understand it. I remember when my dad got saved, I was 11 years old, and, and I just remember we were just going church to church to church. And I know that God had put something in my, my dad's heart about where we were supposed to go. The Spirit was leading him. Go to church, to church, to church. We just couldn't find it. We'd been out to about, just about every denomination out there. Uh, I saw some incredible stuff, <laughs> some wild stuff. People just doing some incredible things, lying on the floor, moving like animals. It was unbelievable. And I just remember when we came to this church, I remember just, just experiencing as an 11-year-old boy the presence of God. 
the anointing. When we use that word anointing, we use it in the sense of the manifestation of the character and the nature of God in a spiritual sense. There's something in the room, and it's not somebody's great personality, but it's Jesus Christ. Yeah. There's that power, there's that amazing sense of God's love. And I remember experiencing that for the first time as an 11-year-old. And this life, and you can't really describe it. How do you describe this new life that God gives you? How would you describe it? You can only use adjectives, joy, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. And so when a person has accepted Christ, when a person has become saved, it's not only that they are saved, but it's also been regenerated. And we know that. I mean, the Holy Spirit has come into a person's life regenerated. And this person means, this, this now means that this person is born of God. Before they were born of this earth, but now they are born of God. And he has received a brand new life in him. I think, the, I think just about every Christian could, could repeat that sentence to you. But what's the, what, is the, what is the thing that God calls us into? A deeper life. And I think that with the, with the um, explosion of technology, the information age, and it's interesting how the incredible amount of technology that's coming into the world and how much information now is available on Google and all of this stuff, how has this helped society? Last week we said that the, the, by wisdom the world did not know God. By technology the world does not know God. By better social services the world does not know God better. How does the world know God but through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, through the salvation that he put into our life? And this is something too difficult to explain. How does a person know that they have new life in God? Having this new life means that, and this is, a, this is the, one of the big points I want us to to, to understand in this message. This new life means a new awareness. Okay, before you and I were saved, and if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, I just want to encourage you to do like what Jeff said. Just, say, just cry out to God this morning and say, I don't think I know you. I need to know, I want to know you as my Lord and Savior. I want to receive that forgiveness. I want to, I want to accept you and open the door of my heart to have you come in like it says in Revelation chapter 3. But when this happens, God puts his spirit in you. Now, I want to go beyond the nebulous understanding or the theological understanding and go into some practical application. of what does this mean in the body of Christ? We're not going to talk about your gifts. We're not going to talk about programs. I just want to talk about almost on a a little bit on a maybe a mystical scale. I don't know if that's the good word to use, but more of a like an unseen scale of our relationship with God. And how does that translate into our relationships when God gives you his spirit, he's giving you a new awareness, okay? a new consciousness. Don't let that word scare you. We're not new age here. A new awareness. A new, uh, um, we are no longer, when we have the Holy Spirit given to us in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 15, there is something new calling in, in us, and it's calling out to God. It's not calling out to ourselves. It's a new Christ awareness. It's new God awareness. I am now aware of my relationship with God. I remember when I got saved at the age of nine, and I don't have a testimony like Jeff. I was just a pagan American growing up in a pagan American family in the Northeast. I was born in Boston, and I was just going in the pagan way. And I remember going to a church, a congregational church that did not preach the gospel. Some university students came in. They began to do these really nutty, corny skits about Charlie Brown. We're all like, pastor wasn't there. I don't know where he was. But they were just doing this thing. And then somebody afterwards got up, preached the gospel. 
And, the, and they said, if you'd like to receive Christ, if you don't know if you're saved or not, then let's go, go to the upper room. That was what it was called. Go upstairs and we will we'll pray with you to receive Christ. So I, as a nine-year-old, had this awareness that I, I don't have God. I don't know God. And these, 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 um, these youth really have something about I just could detect the life of God in them. So I went upstairs and guess what? The whole church was up there. The entire church had gone upstairs, about 150 people in an old New England church in West Medway, Massachusetts, uh, a congregational church that just preaches universal salvation. Everybody's saved. But, you know, and it was just a dead church. I went up there, and I was one of the last ones. A young lady came over and prayed with me, and I never met them ever again. But I remember after, I can't wait to meet them in heaven. I said, guess what? <laughs> guess what your visit did, you know? <laughs> you got a lot of fruit. And it's Christ in us, not, not me. And so after that moment, I was nine years old. My mom had gone to a Bible college in Boston. And she, she had walked away from God. And God hadn't walked away from her. So you know what she does? She gives me all of her Bible school notes. I got this huge binder of Bible school notes. Bible school notes in cursive that I can't even read. So I'm like, I'm like, what has happened? What is going on? You know, like, is this Christianity? And, but I, re- I remember distinctly having a new awareness in my life. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? How many of you have had that? This new awareness, like, wow, okay. Is the sky bluer or, or you know, or, or is, is, I sense God's presence. And I would go to, I was in high school, very troubled time. I, I walked to school. Sense the presence of God on me. I don't know. It's just this. I don't know if you ever experienced. I don't want to get into subjective experiences, but there are these moments where you just have God's presence in your life, whether you're in your car or you're by yourself or with your with your family, and there is this presence, this awareness. And this is what happens. That's the first point I want to give you. A very simple message this morning. Christ is Christ sends His Spirit into our heart, and that Spirit gives us a new awareness. Guess what? That's not an awareness now of sin and badness in your life. Okay? Because before that, we had no other, before Christ, before our regeneration, before the Holy Spirit coming into our life, we had no awareness of God. We just knew that we were children of wrath at that point, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2, that we were in bad, that there's no way to change my life, and I could change it morally through steps, but my heart was the same, and there was no awareness of God in my life. But now, <clears throat> there's only awareness of my sin and how bad I am and how good I am. The two sides of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And so, <clears throat> this new awareness now comes into us. And it's no longer me in Romans chapter 7 saying that, okay, the law, verse 9, the law came in. And I'm going to get to the body part in a second. The law came in. Sin revived. Because as soon as I was told what not to do, I became, I became a, a new awareness in my life. It became like, well, why can't I do that? I mean, I grew up in a church. I was like, why can't I go out and just have a blast? And I mean, that looks like so much fun. I can control it. I mean, I know how far I can go. I can manage sin. Try managing sin. I saw Jurassic Park, the new one that came out recently. And you know what Jurassic Park tells me? It's just a funny whole, it's a crazy, it's a crazy fantasy movie. But you know what it tells me? It tells me you can't control the beast. You can't control the beast. And you can modify it. You can, you can make a park for it. You can do all these great things. And you say, okay, these are the boundaries. Okay, I'm a Christian. I'm a big Christian now, and these are the boundaries. And you, 
But guess what happens? Jurassic Park ends the same way every time. All the beasts get out and life is out of control. And people are dead. There's blood everywhere. Okay, I'm sorry to mess the message up with that illustration. I just want to say this, is that God knew that we could not manage the beast. So what did he do? What did God do? What did Jesus do to the beast? He killed it. He killed it. He crucified it 2,000 years ago. God had to show the nation of Israel that, and this is a whole other message, I can't get into it. But anyway, God had to prove to Israel and to the Gentiles that there's no hope for you to modify your life through a a set of ten laws. And so by the time that Christ comes, there is now at that point officially 613 new laws that have been introduced into the system, and they were not doing good. As a matter of fact, there was, there was never more demonic activity going on in a nation than it was the peak of the rule of the law in the nation of Israel. So by the way, we can't change our life by a set of rules. The only thing that can change our life is the presence of God in you, Colossians yeah. chapter 1, verse 29. And guess what? We talked about that for the last two, three weeks. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, we have a new spirit in us that's crying out to Abba Father. And it's crying out to God. And it's this new awareness of God's presence in our life. Can I tell you something? Brother Lawrence, if you can get his book. Super simple. When you read it, it's like, I don't know. How many have ever read Brother Lawrence's book, Practicing the Presence of God? Okay, I know. Here's a guy who was a monk that discovered what it meant to presence. He would wash dishes, and he would just be practicing. God is here with me. He's with me. He's never going to leave me nor forsake me. Okay. And just practicing the presence of God, the presence of the nature of who God is. This is this deeper life that I think that religious Christianity is missing out. The informational Christianity is missing out. The moral Christianity is missing out. Do you know why churches are so into programs today and they're just there's no body going on there? It's because Jesus Christ is not the center of the whole thing. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, Abba, Father. Second thing I want to say, I'm going to wrap this up. This life, this life is awareness. It's, it's consciousness. It's awareness of something else. It's awareness not of a presence or a nebulous um, nirvana or unknowable, as the Gnostics would say. But it is, it is knowledge of a particular person. You can open your Bible. Jeff did it for eight years every day. Open your Bible. Read about Jesus Christ. I think sometimes we need to go back to the book of Mark and read it really slowly. Yeah. Go back to the book of Luke. Read it slowly. And just read it. And just let it speak to you. The second thing is that this life is the light of men. It's not just self-consciousness. Okay, I just want to say this. Self-con- self-consciousness <coughs> leads to entitlement. Meaning this is what I deserve. I go to this church and this is what I deserve. This is what this church has got to do for me. They almost look at the church as almost a, an extension of the welfare system. Now, I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying that, that there are people that will come into the church, and we're supposed to minister to, the, to these folks with the love of Christ, wash their feet. But there are some folks that will come to a church, and they'll only, be, they'll only dwell on the first floor, which is just programs. And what can they do for my kid? Or what can they do for me? Or how much they can give me? And that is part of the ministry of Jesus. Jesus did that. That's the first floor. But there is an upper room where Jesus is at. He's calling us up there for a, for a intimate work, uh, communion with Christ where, where it's just 12 disciples. But there is something going on in the midst of those 12 disciples that the whole world is missing out on. This life, the life of Christ, is our light. And what do we mean by that? It's a new consciousness. It's new awareness. 
And so my Christianity is not self-awareness. It's not self-consciousness. It's not self-entitlement. It's not like what I deserve. Like, when am I going to be used for this? What am I going to... And this can happen very often in a church or in an organization is that people can come in. We all come into the church with a lot of brokenness in our life, a lot of programming of the old flesh that needs to be renewed and changed and just rewired through the word of God. But you know something? God doesn't want us just to dwell on that first floor. He's calling us up into communion. And this is what we call body life. I don't know if you've heard that term before. Uh, maybe you have. Body life means that when we are in the room together, and we're hearing Jeff's testimony, or we're here, you know, we're we're hearing the worship, we're looking at people's lives, and we are fellowshipping with something that's intangible. Does that make sense? It means that we are here not because of because of um, Chris Moore. We're here because of Jesus Christ. We're here because of the body of Christ. And when we're in the midst of the body and we're talking afterwards, we're, you know, the funny thing is, is about our group here is that we just never leave. We're in this building until like all hours and we're just talking about just having fun. This body life, this is body life and this is communion. This is where we meet God and this is this communion with Jesus Christ when we are breaking bread together. And this is where we become transformed. This is where we are changed. This brings me back, to, this brings me to the last point I want to make. Remember in John chapter 11, when Jesus on purpose shows up late to the death of Lazarus, the sickness of Lazarus, he shows up. Martha and Mary are just offended at their good friend Jesus. You showed up late. You did this on purpose. We heard about, we heard you were just stopping along the way. And it's too late, Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Uh, by the way, <laughs> we're looking for provisions when the presence is right there. We may not have all the answers. We may not have everything understood, but we got the answer in our midst 24-7 when we're asleep, when we're awake. Amen. amen. Praise the Lord. I mean, we can say amen here. It's like we, we seek for things and we like live in this deficit and we just forget that the answer to every prayer and every need I have is in the midst the answer that I need in my marriage is right there between me and my wife. The answer that I need in my business is present with me in that, in that office. The presence of Christ, the awareness of Christ, the Christ in us. This is the hope of glory. Yeah. And when I, maybe I'm single today and I'm not really want to be married. And that's, and that's something from God, by the way. Don't let your desires, um, don't try to answer your own desires. Let God answer you those desires because he created them. Don't, ca- don't condemn them and don't, don't pander to them. Look to God and say, God, provide, provide, and he will give you the best. We have this life in us. And guess what happens? And I, that was a rabbit trail. But when we surrender to the, <laughs> the head of the body, which is Jesus Christ, something incredible happens. We become aware of something outside of our own life. We become aware of the body of Christ. We walk into a room and we're just, or maybe in the middle of the day, we're thinking, oh, wait a minute, I wonder how so-and-so is doing. Ever happened to you? I have a three-second rule. If I'm thinking about somebody for more than three seconds, it just means I'm supposed to either pray for them or send them a text. And if you don't get a text from me for a while, it doesn't mean I'm not thinking about you. Okay. <laughs> Disclaimer. Okay, I got to text everybody after church. All right, all right. Well, guess what happens? We discover an awareness is no longer my self-consciousness, what I deserve. But now there's something else because guess what? I saw, and I want to finish with this. I saw the most beautiful thing on the universe, and that is the body of Christ. The body of Christ. Can you get a revelation of the body of Christ? Get a revelation of the body of Christ. What that means is this, is that 
when Satan, before, you know, before, and this is, I think, how it went. Before he fell, Lucifer, he saw the body of Christ, Mount Zion. And he saw how beautiful it was and how awesome it was. And he saw how in some way he saw that there was going to be this group of people that are just so loved and prized and, and just celebrated in, in, in history that he said, in some way, I've got to be, I've got to be, I've got to be, I've got to be the guy that is above all of that. And that was his pride that brought him down. But he understood this body of Christ, you and I, with all the craziness going on in your family, you know, in your life or whatever's happening, you are beautiful. And I, I, you, God has to show that to you. That there is no, you are not dirty. When Paul said, oh, oh, wretched man that I am, he was not saying, he was not, he was not, um, uh, he was not lowering his value or living in his shame. He was just saying, I need God so much. The body of Christ. And when we understand the body of Christ and the beauty of the body of Christ, I'm no longer gossiping about people. I'm afraid to touch the body of Christ. I'm afraid to touch men of God. I mean, there's some awesome churches in this city. God is using some great church. God is using great things in this city. God's moving in Houston. It's awesome. And I don't have the liberty to freely talk about a brother or a sister. I don't have that liberty in my life. I feel like if I was to do that, I'd just be like, you're touching my, my people. I don't care how weak they are. I don't care what's going on. I don't care if they've fallen 70 times 70. These are my people purchased by my blood. Yeah. And God forbid that I would just in some way like suppose they're out of their mind doing something crazy. I'm thinking of one situation on the East Coast. I cannot touch that brother. I can only pray and just say, God, I, I have had, I've had such a revelation of your grace in my life and a revelation of grace in my family that if I, I felt like if I was to touch this brother, that I would be incurring the anger. Does that make sense? Does that, I, don't want to make, I don't want to sound scary, but the body. And so when I understand the body of Christ, when I understand the body of Christ, I begin to talk like Paul did. And this is, this is what we call spiritual maturity. When I look at the body of Christ, and I say what Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, 24, he said, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And listen to these words, for the sake of his body. If you go, oh, if you leave here today and you have this famous post-church amnesia, which we all have suffered, what was preached today? I, well, it was, it was great, but <laughs> sometimes somebody asks me, hey, how was church? It was great. What did the pastor say? Well, it was great. I, I can't remember a word. If you can remember one thing, just remember this, for the sake of his body. This is the way I want us to live. This is the way I want us to, this is what I want us to understand in this little church here in, in our, as we grow and as we develop to, to what God wants us to be for the sake of his body. You and I are going to suffer things, people's immaturity, people's wackiness. When somebody's being a spiritual baboon, we just have to understand that, that was we are going through something for the sake of his what we're going through something for the sake of his body. That I, in that situation of suffering, need to walk through that with that person till they get to a point where they can discover and feed on Christ by themselves because it's for the sake of his body. And then Paul says to the Colossians church who were struggling with Gnosticism, he says, and by the way, that's the church. That's the church. 
David said the same thing. He said that my goodness and my thankfulness does not extend to you, O God. In Psalm 16, verses 1 and 2, 2 and 3, he said, but to the saints, to the saints. Has God done something awesome in your life? Is God moving in your life? Do you have an awesome testimony? Is God moving? Are you, do you just want to pour out in thanks to God? These verses tell us the body. Wash the body's feet. I love this. I love this group of people that we have here. I mean, I, I'm so thankful for you guys. I really am. Because you guys could be going to 100 different other churches that have got it so going with the programs. And you guys like Daphne and others that are just, you know, Michael's up here playing the guitar. He's an ordained pastor. He's up here playing the guitar. You know, it's like we could be doing so many other things, but yet there is a conviction in your heart that this is a local body. And that for the body's sake, we are just here. We're not doing it for kudos. We're doing it because we see something that the world doesn't see, that there is something very beautiful in our midst. And it's Jesus Christ. It is the body of Christ, the, the hope of glory, the, the bride of Christ. And man, I am just so glad that I'm a part of this. Amen. I'm so glad to be a part of this with you guys. And I'm excited about what God's going to do in the next nine months, ten months. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father.